the Super Nerd Podcast, the adventure that brings you the latest nerd news and rumors from movies, TV, entertainment, and sometimes silence. You name it if it is nerdy, we are talking about it. And tonight's main event is... Nerd Out! I'm your host, Austin. And with me, as always, is the amazing Amanda. Hey! The wild yet elusive Jekka. I'm here. And burn, Brady Burn. Hey, hey, hey! Hey, thanks so much for joining us. <laughs> That's two podcasts in a row I messed that up. I know, I was going to say you did the last time. <laughs> Anyways, hey, thanks so much for joining us. Obviously, we're talking Dune a little later, but we're going to be talking a whole lot more to include Kevin Feige. Guess what he's talking about? He's talking about that end credit scene from Venom, Let There Be Carnage. The Flash's director is talking how he got Michael Keaton back as Batman. And guess what? Hayden Christensen is coming to Star Wars Ahsoka series. It's okay, Austin. And a whole lot more. So make sure to hit that podcast subscribe button. We would love to nerd out with you each and every week. And if you've already hit that podcast subscribe button, you know what I'm going to say. Plus 10 nerd XP to you. Nerd XP. We love you guys. And for everyone else, as soon as you hit that podcast subscribe button, you too can start earning nerd XP. Nerd XP. In the meantime, Brady, my man, what's nerdy with you, dude? Man, oh man, uh, you know, I've been, I've had a busy, I had a busy weekend. I took Friday and today off of work. Uh, today being Monday, and uh, we had a scout uh, event with the boys, so we went out and uh, did what's called a camporee, where the troops all compete against each other. The boys did all kinds of cool stuff. We had like a forty-eight foot uh, ham radio tower in our camp wow. and all that. But what I got to nerd out on was I was the grub master. So I made it my entire objective to my entire objective for being the grub master was to make it difficult for the next grub master for the camp out. <laughs> so I made like okay. these barbecue honey glazed pork chops and zucchini and squash Ooh. on the griddle for camp. Then the next morning I had this big like hash brown and egg and bacon thing going on. It was great. But we had a good time. So I, I, I know that's not a technical nerd out, but I nerded out on that, and it was a blast. We had a really good time. Weather was perfect, and nice. uh, got to see all the kids having a lot of fun mm. and building stuff and competing and running. And my my fourteen year old, he turned fourteen today, uh, so he was thirteen this weekend. Uh, he went up to he went to shoot skeet with the shotgun. He he's only shot like twice before. Got seven out of ten. So he placed third in the whole camp with I don't know a hundred scouts or so. And my uh, younger son put us in third place for archery um, by scoring like I don't know thirty something points in five shots or whatever. But it was yeah, it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. That sounds fun. Archery is always a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I like archery. As, as long as you're pointed at the target. <laughs> I have a recurve bow that I bought here. We live in a subdivision, and I bought it so that we could practice down the side of the house. And then I realized that I have a 12-year-old and a 13-year-old at the time <laughs> that should probably find a more appropriate venue for shooting Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I see. I see a a noise complaint or something in the future. <laughs> well, so I don't remember. Noise complaint, it's um, they are considered weapons. So if there's any laws about city limits with weapons, that's the so only illegal have- if you get caught. Exactly. Um, both, yeah. both have I have very specific... I've been okay. trying to find well, an archery range here. I so use it. my son was um, given a chance to do some archery, and he complained about it afterwards because they made it too safe, he said. <laughs> and how they made it safe is if anyone was near the target, he wasn't allowed to shoot, and that was too safe. And he was... He did not have the patience to wait for somebody to get out of the line of fire. So, <laughs> wow. Uh, so anyway, he's not allowed to have a bow anymore. <laughs> Pretty funny. All right, Jack. What's nerdy with you? Um. So, I have to say, I'm officially moved in simply because when I moved to California, I I pretty much inherited this bookcase from my parents, but it was more. It wasn't like a bookcase for books. It was more of like a bookcase, like a shelf, like a key, a bit, a bookcase for like bathrooms where you could put like towels and stuff on it. So it didn't have a lot of shelves on it, but I was like, I want to use this for a bookcase and I need more shelves. So, um, with my uncle's help and one of my roommate's boyfriend's help, I made, or I got three new shelves for it. And let me tell you guys, I have space on that bookcase. And I'm very pleased with that because that means I can start steadily making my way in buying all the Dune books, which is what <laughs> I want to do. So, which is appropriate considering oh. we're going to nerd out over Dune a little bit later. But yeah, so I have the first Dune book. I need to get the second one because I've already read that. Oh. And then I just want to steadily buy the Dune books and read them as I go. And I have plenty of space on my bookshelf for those. So very cool very happy i have space on my bookshelf it's been a long time since i've had space on a bookshelf <laughs> i am thoroughly looking forward to talking dune later then <laughs> you're hyping it up so i got a little i got a little nerdy uh things to talk about so we uh been working on our arcade we uh we found a great deal on an arcade one-up machine uh nba jam uh, we got it for pretty much 50% off, and it was brand new, still in the box and everything. It was great. So we couldn't pass it up. So now we've got a, you know, we've got an arcade one-up machine downstairs uh, in our basement in our little arcade, and uh, we found some other good deals, and I think we're going to be getting some more. So we're just slowly expanding our arcade, and um, we've got the neighborhood kids just salivating at the mouth, like just standing outside, be like, please, uh, can I come in and play games? It's not a real arcade unless you get like black lights and those, uh, you know, yeah. like that purple carpet with like pink and, so, and, and yeah. green Z's. And yeah, that, that carpet that only works in arcades. Exactly. <laughs> anywhere. We're, we're, we've got we've got lights. We don't have the carpet. But we, we've and, got like, lights. Golf places. So. About three years ago, someone gave me a strobe light that was like for their Halloween decorations. They were moving, and I I showed it to us. He's like, "Get rid of it!" So I saved it, and now he put put it in the arcade. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, we got a whole lot to cover, so let's hit up that nerd news. Many Bothans died to bring us this information. Ooh. What is the news that should be on your nerd radar? Well, check this out. Some new photos from Spider-Man No Way Home is showing off Alfred Molina's Doc Ock. And there are some hints 
at the Sandman's confirmation being in the movie. So a couple new photos have been released for the upcoming film Spider-Man No Way Home. One features Peter Parker's Spider-Man, or I should say uh, Tom Holland's Spider-Man, uh, being chased down a freeway by Dr. Octopus, played by the returning Alfred Molina, who's obviously reprising the role he played in 2004 Spider-Man 2. The second photo shows Spider-Man kind of crouched down in that, you know, it, you can probably imagine the, the classic Spider-Man attack pose, but he doesn't have his mask on. But in addition to this, uh, Empire Magazine has also released a new cover art promoting Spider-Man No Way Home. And the cover, if you take a look at it, and there'll be links to these in the podcast show notes, but if you look at it in the bottom right-hand corner, it seems to confirm that, yeah, we're going to have the return of Thomas Hayden's Church's Sandman from Spider-Man 3. Now, in addition to all of this, uh, the MCU's president, Kevin Feige, he talked about bringing Molina back as Dr. Octopus, saying, quote, I remember having discussions with Amy Pascal years ago. Do we want to revisit villains we've seen before? No, let's do Vulture and Mysterio and characters we haven't brought to the screen before. But I remember thinking, how would you even do Doc Ock again? Because Alfred Molina is perfect casting. If you ever brought him back, it would have to be him somehow. End quote. Well, even uh, the original Spider-Man creator, Spider-Man trilogy director Sam Raimi, he has also weighed in on Molina's return, saying, quote, that was beautiful. He looks great. The animation's great. I'm assuming it's not puppeteered because when we did Doc Ock, he had puppets and animation for his Dr. Octopus tentacles, but it was smooth and powerful, and I loved his costume and kept... From the original, I think it's going to be a great movie. Anyway, Spider-Man No Way Home coming out right around the corner, December 17th. You know, the more they feed us, the more these the more of these photos that sneak out, uh, the more I just want to go see it. And, you know, I didn't even think about the technology that they used originally for Doc Ock versus what's available now. Mm -hmm. um, it, it can change the game, you know, as far as what's possible and, and how great it looks. Um, yeah, I don't know that there's really a lot else to say, except I'm excited. I mean, Sandman's great, but really, you know, I think of Doc Ock and I think of the Green Goblin. Right? Sure. Those, those are the two that, that really pop, pop front of mind when I think about the foes for Spider-Man and the cinematic universes. And uh, yeah, it's going to be great to see Molina come in because he was he's perfect for that role. He's oh, yeah. absolutely perfect and nails it. And the photos look really great. Does. Yeah, I can't wait to I can't wait to see how this fleshes out. Oh yeah. Well, I, I you know in the teaser trailer that they released, I mean there there is that sandstorm, but like yeah, you know maybe it's Sandman, maybe it's not. We haven't really seen anything that kind of confirms one hundred percent that it's Sandman, not just some like weird sandstorm. But this is obviously the Sandman's colors. We got we got the classic <laughs> green, the black. We've got the sand that's turned into a, an arm and fist. I mean, it is Sandman. So I think I think we're definitely going to be seeing Sandman. Uh, I mean, it's pretty much confirmed. Yeah, Doc Ock, Green Goblin, Sandman now. Uh, probably, oh yeah, we're going to have Electro in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are they going to have, I mean, speaking of Green Goblin, is Willem Dafoe 
Do you think he's going to... You heard his laugh, right? Well, I heard it. his laugh, but that's just audio. I mean, they could have oh. pulled that. So if you remember a while back, no, this was quite a while back. This might have been like four or five, six months ago. There were some reports online coming out from some pretty reputable sources saying that um, that uh, William Defoe was seen on the lot of Spider-Man No Way Home. Not, not necessarily on the stage or doing anything, but he was on the lot. Um, and, you know, based on the trailer and everything that we're seeing, I think, I think we can probably assume that he will be in it. Like, I don't know. I don't know why they bring back all these other people. And then all of a sudden, you know, Kevin Feige says, okay, now our checkbook's a little too stingy. We're not going to bring back William Defoe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're going to, they're opening the pocketbooks. I'm sure of it. Yeah. I certainly hope so. I certainly yeah. hope to see him in there. Speaking of opening the pocketbooks, <laughs> the MCU's Kevin Feige has also started talking about that end credit scene from Venom Let There Be Carnage. So, if you have watched Venom Let There Be Carnage, then you know about the big post uh, end credit scene. And if you haven't watched if you haven't watched the movie and you don't want to know what we're talking about, then this is your spoiler warning. Jump the podcast ahead about five minutes because we're diving into the details. Here we go. In the post credit scene, you know, if you've seen it, Venom and the MCU finally collide. Uh, Venom and Eddie are relaxing in that hotel in Mexico and they're talking. And then there's this flash of light and the hotel room changes and J. Jonah Jameson's on the TV talking about Spider-Man. And not just any Spider-Man, Tom Holland's Spider-Man. And then Venom quickly becomes infatuated with Peter Parker and licks the TV screen. Well, during an interview with The Hollywood Reporter, Kevin Feige is now finally talking about this post credit scene and what they had to do to uh, get this off the ground. Quote, there was a lot of coordination. And if you don't know all the coordination yet, I'm not going to be the one that tells you. But yes, between Sony and, and Marvel and the Venom team and the No Way Home team, we worked together on it, end quote. Ugh, so, oh. so with that, I have like two major questions that pop up. And one of them is the knee-jerk reaction one, which is, does that mean we will see Venom in No Way Home? Which I'm like, that would be crazy insane. But like I said, that's the knee-jerk reaction question, which I don't always entirely well, trust those reactions. So I'm wondering yeah. if like, yeah, we're going to get a crossover film. Well, yeah, no, yeah, we're going to get a crossover film. But but that's what I'm wondering if, if Kevin Feige's alluding to when he says, and if you don't know all the coordination yet, I'm not going to be the one that tells you. I yeah. wonder if he's specifically saying... Venom is going to be popping up in No Way Home. Well, he mentions the No Way Home team. Yeah. I know. Like I said, yeah. that's, that's why I'm like, knee-jerk reaction. It's like, I, it's almost like too good to be true. <laughs> and I'm just like, I, I want that, but oh, I'm like yeah. almost afraid to hope for it. Yes. You know? And I feel like, <laughs> like, I mean, what? I mean, we we were just talking about we're getting so many of the past Spider-Man classic villains from the other movies uh, that it seems highly logical we're going to get Venom in this one, but you don't want to build up your expectations too high. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. That's why I'm like, it's like too good to be true. 
And so I don't want to hope for it, yeah. <laughs> but I'm hoping Everybody's for expectations are already so high. Yeah, so. they're all over the place. <laughs> yeah, but it's going to yeah. be a whole lot of fun. De- definitely right. makes me even more excited to see this movie yeah. when it comes out. Yeah. All right, moving on. Check this out. The Matrix Resurrections Morpheus actor is talking about playing the character Lawrence Fishburne portrayed in the first movies. So I'm going to try to pronounce this. Uh, Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, uh, he, the actor, is taking on the role of a young Morpheus in the upcoming film, The Matrix Resurrections. The character, obviously, originally played by Lawrence Fishburne. And I gotta be honest, I'm one of these fans that was kind of bummed to learn that Fishburne wasn't coming back to make this new sequel. Well, the reasoning behind this younger version of Morpheus will apparently be explained in the film. Because during a recent interview with Entertainment Weekly, Abdul Mateen talked about taking on the role of Morpheus in the movie and shared that he has nothing but respect for Fishburne's performance and he's not trying to replicate it. He says, quote, Lawrence already did what had to be done. I think what the script provided was a new narrative and some new opportunities that did make room within the Matrix universe for a new Morpheus. This is definitely a different iteration of the character. I play a character who's definitely aware of the history of the Matrix and the history of Morpheus. This character is on a journey of self-discovery. There's a lot in our story that's about growth, defining your own path. Morpheus isn't exempt from that. What the viewers will come to understand is that there are many rules of the Matrix. Age, appearance, and the things we identify as real can be manipulated in that world. The Matrix is where anything is possible, end quote. Hey, Matrix Resurrections, coming to theaters and HBO Max December 22nd. So I think that he's trying to kind of help people understand why he's there instead of Lawrence Fishburne. I'm excited to see what they do with it, how they're going to make it work. Because I'm going to trust them with what I've been seeing in the trailers. I'm going to trust that they're going to make it work. Mm. Well, it's like the original multiverse, right? Multiverse is the new is the new catchphrase for all these movies, <laughs> DC and all that. But if you think about the Matrix, it really is, you know, the original. You know, you, you can have all sorts of parallel parallel existences and and, and things going on mm. and awareness of one another or not, you know. So, yeah, they, they can make it fit. It's just a matter of how they're going to do it, how they're going to execute it. Hmm. You know, we uh, we had a uh, a fan of ours reach out to us and talk specifically about uh, their theory on why we have a different um, Morpheus. I'm trying to find that because I have to I have to dig through some contacts. Uh, but if I was to sum it up, because I remember it pretty well, what his what his theory was um, that this major or the part of the reason why we might not have a, an agent Smith in this movie is because somehow the matrix is able to kind of like rebuild itself. And now the agent Smith is actually this new younger Morpheus. So it's not the same good guy Morpheus. His theory, this is, this is his theory is that younger Morpheus is actually some sort of like agent Smith like character. I thought that was kind of interesting. I think the psychiatrist is the new agent Smith. Oh, that'd be interesting too. 
That would be interesting. All right, moving on. Check this out. The Flash director is talking about how he convinced Michael Keaton to come back as Batman. I'm Batman. Anyways, this past weekend, uh, Warner Brothers released a teaser trailer for director Andy Muschietti's The Flash at DC Fandom. We talked about it uh, last podcast, in fact, and we were all super excited. And one of the things that made us very much look forward to this film was we got, we not only got to hear Michael Keaton's Batman talk for the first time since Batman Returns, but we got to see the outline of his Batman. And uh, it was fantastic. Anyways, uh, myself included, many fans have wondered how hard it was to talk Keaton to come back to the role of Batman after all these years. I mean, decades, in fact. Um, and here's what the filmmaker had to say. Quote, I think Keaton was honored to come to do this character again, but mainly we sent him a great script, and that is probably the thing that got him interested. It's more complex than this. We gave him a great script, and I promised him great direction, and that was about it. He was on board, end quote. So the director has previously explained how this DC multiverse is going to open up in The Flash, saying this movie is a bit of a hinge in the sense that it presents a story that implies a unified universe where all the cinematic iterations we've seen before are valid, including this Batman. Anyways, The Flash is set to hit theaters November 4th, 2022, this time next year. Woohoo! Yeah, so this actually does give me high expectations for the movie. Uh, simply because for Michael Keaton to be on board with just a script and great direction. Yeah. Like, that gives me high expectations for the script then. Because, you know, like, he's been doing lots of movies. He's a great actor. And for a script, for him to see a script and be like, yeah, I'm good. Like, yeah, I want to do this. That says a lot about the script, you know. Yeah. It means a lot of work went into it, a lot of revision. So I'm I'm excited about that. I'm yeah. excited to see how this will go and how it will tie in like this all the DC movies. If you can get an movie. icon to sign on, then yeah, it sets it sets a pretty high <laughs> expectation. Yeah, yeah, high expectation right there. So like and me as a writer and bookworm. I very much enjoy good writing. So I'm like, okay, high expectations there with the script. Mm -hmm. So check this out. Moving on. Speaking of the world of Batman, uh, Brendan Fraser has been cast as the main villain in DC's upcoming Batgirl movie. So Brendan Fraser, we all know him from The Mummy, Doom Patrol. Anyways, he's been cast in DC's upcoming Batgirl movie. He will star alongside Leslie Grace, who's taken on the role of Barbara Gordon. Frazier is going to be playing the main villain in the film, and it's being reported that he might be taking on the role of Firefly. So this movie is being directed by Adil L.R.B. Oh, I, I probably messed that name up bad. <laughs> Wait till the next one. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was... Uh, B Bilal F Falal. Oh, my word. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they are directing a film being written by Christina Hodgson. I can say that one. Anyway, she <laughs> previously wrote Bumblebee and the DC's Birds of Prey and the upcoming Flash movie. Uh, 
Kristen Burr, who recently worked on Cruella, she's producing the film. Uh, and all this is going to be released exclusively on HBO Max. So this is a uh, DC film not coming to the theaters, but exclusively to HBO Max. Anyways, Burr, Kristen Burr, said in a statement, quote, With Batgirl, we hope to take the audiences on a fun ride and see a different side of Gotham. Christina's script is crackling with spirit. Uh, Adil and Belial have an ex uh, excited and joyous energy, which is infectious, making them the perfect filmmakers for this Bat project. And I'm just psyched I get to be part of the DC universe, which is super cool. Unfortunately, there's no plot details to share, but the directors have previously confirmed that Batman will be in this movie, but we don't know what version of Batman we're going to see. What well, The filmmakers say that it would be the real Batman, whatever that means, but I guess we'll find out who the real Batman is. I don't know. Which <laughs> Batman is this? What do you guys think? <laughs> so I, I'm hoping that whenever they say Batman's going to make an appearance, then it becomes about seeing Batman. And I, I don't want that to detract from the Batgirl character that the movie's about, you know, whenever they say, you know, like uh, if uh, Tony Stark's going to make an appearance in a movie, then it becomes, you know, uh, about seeing him and, and you don't necessarily want that. I don't want that to happen with in the Batgirl movie with uh, Batman either. So, I, to me right now, the real Batman that shows up in there, who knows, right? But <laughs> but as far as Brendan Fraser, the, the subject of this specific little blurb here, being the villain in there, I don't care what it is. I want to see Brendan Fraser in something. <laughs> don't we all? I think, right? I think Brent, I am on the Brendan Fraser train. <laughs> I, you know, I watched all of his movies in the nineties, you know, and you follow his personal story and the stuff he's been through personally and him getting back into Hollywood and just what a humble guy, by the way, Brendan Fraser, a phenomenal photographer. If you ever get a chance, go out and look at his photography. Phenomenal. His, I think his dad was a photojournalist, but, but yeah. Um, so the question he, is, uh, have you seen Dune Patrol? Dune Patrol. I have not seen Doom Patrol. He is in Doom Patrol. I will be watching Doom Patrol this week. I I have been meaning to watch it. I just haven't gotten the chance. But yes, he is in Doom I'm just, Patrol. I'm I'm ready to because yeah, he played a lot of goofy characters, right? Mm -hmm. And he, he was played George of the Jungle. Yeah, yeah, he played George of the Jungle. He was in what Airheads. And, yeah, and, and there was a Journey was to the Man. The that's the, that's yeah. the last. The one where he was locked in a in a bunker and all that oh, but yeah, that one. he was also in gods and monsters and i don't know if you ever saw gods and monsters but it was a dramatic role and he was phenomenal in that in that movie and i i'm really interested to see not only his his skill back on the screen in whatever capacity but to see how time has affected that and see what we get with an older more mature brendan frazier um, and what he can bring, because I think whatever it is he brings, it's going to be positive and it's going to be a great addition to whatever that is. That's my thought on this. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm excited to see him play the role of a villain. Like of the movies I've seen with him in, he hasn't, I don't think I've seen him ever play a villainous part. So I'm excited to see him do that. Cause yeah. I'm just like, he's like, he's a well, like he's a very versatile actor. 
Like I'm he, sure he, he tends do. to get typecasted a lot, but I'm like, I feel like he like he gets typecasted, but he still has like he's got skills. <laughs> you know who Brendan Fraser is? He's like the Mr. Rogers of actors today. Like everybody's <laughs> rooting for him. It would be so weird to see Brendan Fraser as the the villain. So Which I, I, think I, would I be brilliant. I think he could do it. I don't know. You can put some. You can put some. I'm sure you could do it. Yeah. You could put characters. I, I think that's one of the great things they that they do in 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 cinema is when they take characters and they put. I saw Alan Alda as a villain once, and it was wonderful because it's Alan Alda. Yeah. As a yeah. villain, you know, and you see these characters outside of their normal normal sphere, and it it's it's a little unsettling, <laughs> but it it's impactful. And and you know if. If you're making a movie, that's what you're going for, right? Impactful, as long yeah. as the performance is great. All right, moving on. <clears throat> I'm going to try not to uh, say this in the Duel of Fates music <laughs> theme because I'm so close to doing it. Hayden Christensen <laughs> hey, will be in Lucasfilm Star Wars Ahsoka TV series. Okay, stop. <laughs> We already know (laughs) that Hayden Christensen is set to reprise his role of Darth Vader, most likely Darth Vader, in Lucasfilm's upcoming live-action Obi-Wan Kenobi TV series. Well, that's not the only Star Wars show he's going to be a part of, folks, because The Hollywood Reporter is reporting that he will also be in the Ahsoka TV series as well! So for those... That do not know Ahsoka. Go watch Star Wars like Clone Wars. The coolest Jedi yes. ever. She she is the Padawan of Anakin throughout the Clone Wars. And with the story, with the Ahsoka TV series story being set five years after the events of the Return of the Jedi, we're kind of scratching our heads saying, okay, exactly how. Will Hayden Christensen be used? It'll be very interesting to see how they do this. So Rosario Dawson, obviously she's coming back in the role as Ahsoka Tano. And it was revealed in The Mandalorian that Ahsoka was on the hunt for Grand Admiral Thrawn. And one of the reasons for that is because they're obviously looking for Ezra Bridger. Well, guess what? It was also recently reported that Thrawn and Ezra will be played by Lars Mikkelsen and uh, Mianya Masao. Men. Mena Masoud. Anyways, Dave Filoni, that's all you need to know. Dave Filoni, <laughs> John Favreau are writing and ex- executive producing the series, which is set to begin filming in early November 2022. So they're about ready to start this up. You just say Ahsoka, and I'm just like giddy with excitement. Uh, but it makes me wonder, like with like the timeline, I wonder if it'll be something like Hayden Christensen, like either it'll be like flashbacks or like maybe appearing in dreams, you know, like we get ghost Hayden Christensen, you know, Mm -hmm. like ghost Anakin kind of thing for a little bit. Like, so, so, yeah, so, so all the possible scenarios we could get flashback of Anakin Skywalker, we could get flashbacks of Darth Vader. Darth Vader and Ahsoka, Anakin and Ahsoka's flashback. Oh, what, oh, oh, what if they do a flashback to like her and Anakin's or Vader's fight in the Sith yeah. Temple from uh, Rebels? <gasps> that would be so cool. But, what if but, it started there? Oh, that would be what, so cool. What I'm hoping, 
What I'm hoping, though, is that they do a really in-depth conversation between maybe uh, ghost, force ghost Anakin and Ahsoka talking about choices and consequences and, you know, kind of bringing that full circle. Maybe Luke Skywalker, uh, you know, meets up with Ahsoka. They have a conversation and that ushers in the appearance of Anakin. And then we have an Anakin, Luke! Anakin and Luke talking to each other with Ahsoka. Oh, that would be oh, my word. chills, chills. Ugh. No, no. Oh, wait. Mm. I'm going to up it one more. Are you ready for this? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Are we? <laughs> we'll have a scene with Luke and Ahsoka. Oh, my word. Oh, get ready for this. Mm. Mm. Luke and Ahsoka travel to Naboo. They're hanging out at the grave of Padme. Ahsoka is teaching Luke and Leia. Let's, let's, in, let's get Leia. Ahsoka is teaching Luke and Leia about their mom, Padme, because she's the only one really alive nowadays that like interacted with her a lot. And as they're doing that, Force Ghost Anakin shows up. It's like a full-out family reunion. Oh, yeah, baby. I better see this. You I know, my, expect- <laughs> my expectations for episode eight included uh, Luke Skywalker having a Force Ghost Jedi Council uh, with a bunch of, like, rocks in a circle. Luke would sit in one. Then there's Force Ghost Anakin, Obi-Wan, Mace, you know, Yoda, like, you know, all of them. Qui-Gon. And that so will, didn't happen. So will his grandson Ben show up as well? That that'd be fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Ba-ba-bam>! <laughs> anyway. He's there with his grandson Ben. Hey grandpa. <laughs> <sighs> yes. So you're not excited about it. At least, you know, at least you're not excited no, about I'm it. No, I'm trying to keep, I'm trying to keep my expectations low. You need to be more excited, Austin. I'm trying to keep my expectations low. So. I will say I am happy that Minna Masoud is going to play Ezra because I was like, he's would be really good for the role. So that makes me happy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm excited Obviously. to see where this goes. Because I've, I've been reading. I'm still, I'm like halfway through. or how, Yeah, I'm about halfway through um, Dark Force Rising, which is the, mm. the, the trilogy written shortly after Return of the Jedi. They introduced Thrawn, so... I'm halfway yeah. through the second book of that. Very good. All right, we got some more nerd news. Check this out. This is exciting too. Netflix Daredevil actor Charlie Cox is talking about the what if scenario of him returning as Daredevil. So Daredevil star Charlie Cox knows Marvel fans want to see him back as the man without fear, but he's warning us that it might not be for the best. I just think he's just trying to throw us off there. But anyways, during an interview with the pop culture spotlight on Sirius XM, Cox explains why suiting up as Daredevil again might not be such a good idea. Quote, you've got to be careful what you wish for. You come back and it's not as good or it doesn't quite work or too much time has passed. It doesn't just quite come together in the same way. You don't want to taint what you've already got. If we never come back, you've got three great seasons. And our third season was our best reviewed. So the trajectory was up. 
I am tremendously proud and grateful for what we have. But if there was an opportunity for me to come back as Daredevil, whatever that would look like, I imagine it would be a reimagining of the character and the show. If they choose me to do it, there are going to be some elements that are, of course, the same. Or they might choose someone else and reboot it all over again. End quote. Hmm. Uh, what do you think about that? You know, I'm really, really excited for anything Charlie Cox is going to be doing with Marvel. And I could see them reimagining with from the Netflix and maybe doing like an alternate universe. And that could be cool, but it kind of makes me sad because then we lose the Netflix stuff. Well, the thing about Charlie Cox saying that stuff is he's not wrong. You know, he's not wrong. You, you have, you have, you know, a, a, a continued season. Arrested Development's a good example of that, right? You had something perfect. You had three perfect seasons. Then you had the ones that followed. And they, they weren't ab- able to catch that lightning in a bottle. So he's not wrong. But also, way to be a Debbie Downer, man. Come <laughs> on. I mean, I mean, you, you, you got to hype it up. Real, realism doesn't come in. Reality okay. doesn't come into play here. So I I am going to point out that, okay, so I will admit, I wasn't exactly paying attention when I was reading that. Amanda! That's why I started talking. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. You're playing your video games while podcasting. I talk. Shush. The problem is the way that they did it with Netflix is they kind of had them pseudo connected to the MCU. And it wasn't kind of an all the way thing. And if they bring Daredevil back it would be more embraced in the MCU. And I think that would make it better. And so that's why I think whatever he says, doesn't matter because they should do it because it will be better. I'm curious, uh, because I haven't looked in a long time, is the uh, Netflix Daredevil and Punisher and all that stuff, is that still out on Netflix or did it? It is. We're watching, we're we're watching season Mm. two of Daredevil right now with our, with our twelve-year-old, don't talk about my parenting choices. <laughs> but yeah, we're we're watching season two of Daredevil right now with our twelve-year-old. So yes, they're both still out there, and we will watch Punisher with him as well. Oh, do that. We will not watch Jessica Jones with him, but we will watch. <laughs> we will watch. Punisher. I still haven't watched Jessica Jones, and that's my name. <laughs> uh, yeah, Punisher's brutal, man. <laughs> it is. I uh, I want. I think the thing that I'm the thing that I really want to show my kids that I haven't yet showed them it was the uh, Terminator Terminator Two movies. Those are good. I look I look forward to that day. I don't know how soon that's coming. Probably not <laughs> relatively soon, but well, the Mortal I, Kombat. <laughs> well, I, I, well, they haven't seen Mortal Kombat, have they? I don't think. I don't no, think, yeah, I don't definitely think. not. Amanda no. wouldn't let them watch the trailer. What are you talking about? I <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So, hey, I, uh, I've been buying some movie posters for downstairs. Some some additional ones that Amanda doesn't know about yet that she says she's hearing about for the first time right now. You realize Austin that you got to get a Tron anyway. poster somehow and put Ooh, it up down there. Yeah, I, I uh, approve the Tron. Yes. Okay. I will move forward on that. <laughs> Anyways, um, one of the movie posters I was thinking about getting was the Terminator 2 classic movie poster. 
But I was kind of saying to myself, like, do I want that just sitting there so the kids stare at it for years and years and years uh, before they can actually watch the movie? And so I ended up deciding not to get a Terminator 2 poster, even though it's on my uh, Amazon wish list right now. So if somebody happens <clears throat> to buy it for me, <laughs> I don't know, Christmas or something. <clears throat> Next year. You got to get a weird science one. Your arcade is your Weird your science. Your arcade oh. is. Anyways, let's talk some Dune, folks. We had our honeymoon on Alderaan. Good thing we took pictures, huh? <laughs> Shut up, Wesley. You have no idea what you're dealing with. Uh, Shakespeare in the Park. Hey, the Belties, it is time for our main event! Two nerds out! We had our honeymoon on Alderaan. Good thing we took pictures, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that is, dude. When the sun is low. Rolling over the sands, you can see spice in the air. The outsiders ravage our lands in front of our eyes. Their cruelty to my people is all I've known. What's to become of our world? Duncan, can I trust you with something? Yes, always, you know that. I've been having dreams about a girl on Arrakis. I don't know what it means. Dreams make good stories. But everything important happens when we're awake. Hey, you. Put on some muscle? I did? No. We are a house of Trades. There is no call we do not answer. There is no faith that we betray. Smile, Gurney. I am smiling. The Emperor asks us to bring peace to Arrakis. House Atreides accepts! I know you. There's only awakening in my mind. You need to face your fears. Come with me. Before. They're not human, they're brutal. The Duke's son sees too much. This is why Dune kill them all. God in heaven. Get everything with guns off the ground! Go! This is an extermination. They're picking my family off one by one. Let's fight like demons. Dad, what if I'm not the future of House Atreides? A great man doesn't seek to lead. He's called to it. But if your answer is no, you'll still be the only thing I ever needed you to be. My son. If anything happens, will you protect Paul? With 
together, we stand a chance. Shout out to all you super nerds who have hit that podcast subscribe button. We really, really appreciate you. Please help us get the word out. Tell a friend about the podcast. And I want to invite you to hit that podcast subscribe button if you've not done so already. Come on, do it. You'll get plus 10 nerd XP. Nerd XP. All right. Dune. So let's go into some non-spoiler territory. All right. So I have not read the book. Brady, have you read the book? I have not read the book. Jekka, you've read the book. You've been talking about it. Yes, I Amanda, read the book last year. I, Amanda has I not have, read the book. I have read the book. I read it 15 years ago. <laughs> Amanda has not read the book. <laughs> She's read Lies. the book. It's just been 15 years. <laughs> 15, 15 years ago. I if, was able to explain things to you about the movie during the movie because someone was talking during the movie, asking questions and distracting me from enjoying it. Amanda, are you a fan of the book? Oh, I love the book. Absolutely. Books it doesn't seem like you're a fan of it. It seems like you probably hate it. <laughs> Amanda is poking Oscar right now, and it's like, all right, you. it's not all right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> I, uh, so we have to ask then, well, how does the book compare to the movie? I, I'll just say, like, I felt the movie, oh, well, I'll say this, kind of tying into another, like, topic that will come up. I So I read the book last year in preparation for this movie because it was supposed to come out in December. Mm. And then COVID made them push it back a whole year, pretty much. Mm. Not all, not like a few months, a whole year. I was livid. Listeners, I was livid. <laughs> I, I remember I that. <laughs> very angry. So angry because like reading the book, I was so excited for the movie. And I've, I've read the second one, which is called Dune Messiah. Mm-hmm. So good. Like mm-hmm. very rarely do you get a good sequel, and that one mm, I can, I can, I kind of liked it a little bit more than the first one, just a hair more. Anyways, we're talking about the first one. Oh, really? So, um, but so this one, like the movie, but so because the Dune, this movie got pushed back a year. I ended up watching the 1984 movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was rough. <laughs> that hurt. <laughs> I like that 1984 movie. <laughs> it, it hurt. So this one was definitely, it was a wonderful adaptation of the book. I felt like oh, they, they pulled out all the important parts, but it wasn't choppy. Like it flowed, mm-hmm. I felt like it flowed very smoothly. It wasn't choppy, but yeah. there were some things I felt like they should have taken the time to explain. Um, for example, Dr. Yue, um, his role, and so- we won't go into spoiler territory yet, but you kind of, there's a thing like Dr. Yue, there's... Um, he's like specially trained. But here's the thing is yeah. they're going to talk about that in the second one. Cause that's when they go over it. That's Oh, that's true. Yeah. See, it, it, they, yeah. they had to do it the way they did it because they go like, that's when they think about it. They don't think about it while they're in the middle of like almost dying. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So, so yeah, we'll, we'll come back, circle back to that again later in spoiler yeah. territory. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but other than that, like, because there were some scenes that I was like, oh, yeah, they like, I remember this one scene and like, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was cool, but they didn't have it in the movie. And I, I felt like so, that was that was it worked fine. There know? were there were things that were explained differently in the movie than the way they are explained in the book. Yeah. 
And some of that kind of made me sad, but I understood why they did what they did in order to keep the storyline moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. But it was definitely a, a excellent adaptation. Um, yeah, better than the 1984 one. <laughs> so, so I... It's been a, I'll admit, it's been a while since I've seen the 1984 movie, but that's how I got introduced to Dune, and that's why I kind of was excited for this movie because of that 1984 movie. With, but but like I said, it's been a while since I've seen it. Was it that bad compared to this movie? I don't know. I like you're saying a long time since I slept through that movie too. It's got Captain Picard in there with hair, if I remember correctly. Yes, yeah, he, yeah, uh, Patrick Stewart plays Gurney Haddock. But he doesn't have hair, right? No, I'm pretty sure he had hair. I'm pretty sure he doesn't have hair. No, he doesn't Mm. have hair. Because when he crept up, I was like, hey, (laughs) Sir Patrick Stewart. I mean, like, I mean, and, and like, like, for me, I've seen a lot of 80s movies. You know, so like I'm able to like gloss over like technology changes. Like I, I whenever I compare movies, it's never about the technology kind of thing. Just because like I understand, you know, like in the yeah. '80s they were working with what they had. But even like I really did. If anything, the '80s movie did a good job of explaining the whole spice, mm-hmm. like and why yeah. it's important. The '80s did a really good job with that. Um. Like I'd probably say like that's probably like the '80s did a better job of that compared to this movie but even then like you learn more about the importance of the spice and its role in part two (laughs) yeah so Mm. where they ended this movie part one a lot of the stuff that gets answered and makes more sense happens in part two along with some really awesome stuff but at the same time the ending of the movie is actually a perfect segue it's like a perfect stopping point and then having the second, like they cut it perfectly. Yeah, they did. And and it does, like the book does reflect, is like that. The first half of the book is a lot of the political intrigue. And then the second half is where you get a lot of the action. Yeah. Well, um, should we start talking spoilers? Yeah. All right, let's talk spoilers. All right. So let's... Let's catch me up on those super, you know, plot points that I obviously missed. Because like I said, I have not read the book. I'm just, my, my only due knowledge is from the 1984 movie. Um, okay. My, my number, my, the number one issue I had plot point wise is why, why does the, because Amanda said the, the emperor wants to kill off the house, house of Trades. And that's why they end up sending the people there and all this other stuff because they were because the emperor was hoping that the house of Trades would just happen to die because the planet's so rough, and that didn't happen. So so they sent in the the the, the goon squad. So let me so, clarify uh, this. Let me so, you're explaining it from your understanding. Can I clarify what they explain in the movie? No. Okay. Let me finish. <laughs> okay. Because my question is what's going to lead you into explaining. All right. So my question is. What is the emperor's deal with the House of Trades? Because, uh, I mean, it seems like they're like super loyal and super good workers, <laughs> you know. So why is the emperor trying to kill them off? All right, now Amanda, go ahead. Okay, so what it is is the emperor plays politics. He also knows that no matter how loyal someone may appear to be, 
they could stab him in the back and try and become emperor themselves. With the Atreides being so popular, it would be easy for um, House Atreides to say, you know what, we're going to be emperor. We're, we're going we're to make ourselves control the empire. And they would have the backing among the noble houses to challenge the empire. So House Harkonnen is exceedingly wealthy because they were given Arrakis. Yeah. And so by sending Atreides to control Arrakis, they make House Harkonnen really, really angry. Sure. And what it is, is it allows for Harkonnen to go and take out Atreides with the Emperor looking like he didn't really do it. Because the big okay. thing, so the big thing to know here is um, they, 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 they mention it a couple times, um, and it's really fast, but there's what's called the Houses of Lansrad. And the great houses, like Atreides and Harkonnen, are part of these great houses. So just like Amanda said, House Harkonnen, they're the wealthiest ones because they control the spice. But House Atreides, they're the most popular and the most well-respected. It's one of those things... If House Atreides came out and said, like, we want to make a bid for the throne or we want to break away and be our own empire, they would take a lot of those great houses with them. And the emperor was threatened by that. So, yeah, I think that I think by not reading the book and I'm, I'm only guessing here, but I'm, I think by not reading the book, um, there's a lot of that political backstory mm-hmm. that's that's missing, like the lady uh, with the. Black Veil. Oh, um, yeah. The Benny Yeah, I really get, I get the sense that in the literature, she probably is fleshed out a little bit more and we know a little bit more about really. her. No. Really? No. Like, no. The most you know about her is she is pretty much the leader of the Bene Gesserit. She's known as the Reverend Mother. Like, she's the one that controls it. If anything, what gets more fleshed out in the book is what the Bene Gesserit do, like what their role is. They're pretty much this, this, like organization of women that are breeding. Like the whole role of a woman is she gets a, a Bene Gesserit gets assigned to a powerful, like a person, like either a Duke or, you know, just anyone. And the whole thing is breeding. It's pretty much breeding. And their goal is they're trying to breed a male Bene Gesserit who's supposed to be like the Messiah kind of thing. Yeah. And the other sure. thing is, is oh. they they give these Benny Gesserit women to the to the these noble houses as concubines. These are not wives. So a lord in these houses could have many Benny Gesserit wives, uh, concubines. Yeah. And all, you're telling me they're just having a lot of female babies. They're not having male yeah, they babies. Are, that's they the are thing. Like, not have males. Yeah, they're given orders to only have daughters, and that's where Lady Jessica. That's where she comes in because she disobeyed. When she was um, given to Duke Atreides, instead of bearing him a daughter like she had been ordered to, he bore a son. And that's why the Lady in Black was upset at her because she was like, you've born a male with Bene Gesserit abilities and lineage, and you've trained him that way. So that's why Paul had to be tested because he has these powers, these Bene Gesserit training that's like, 
you know, there's the whole thing with the voice. The voice did, is like compel, yeah. like it makes people obey kind of thing. The so. voice was awesome in this movie. Yeah. I I, oh, like, I like the portrayal awesome? of the voice in this one better than the eighties. <laughs> So I am going to say what I didn't like about the portrayal of Jessica and Duke Leto was that. Who are we talking about? The Duke and. Which one's the Duke? You talking about Poe Dameron? Poe Dameron. All right. Yeah. Use, use names I know. Okay. The <laughs> Oscar Duke Isaac? Is, Oscar Isaac. No, no, no. So Poe Dameron. The Duke. Okay. Poe Dameron. Was given Jessica. Who? Um, the one lady. Paul's mother. Paul's mother. Paul's mom. Yeah. The yes. lady. Okay. So. Okay. Poe Dameron and the lady. You shush. <laughs> I'm trying to follow along. You're answering my question that I posed. Okay. So what I didn't like about this one was they focused so much on how she she was just so ambitious. She wanted to bear the, um, she, she just really Quisac wanted Cataract. to bear the the Kwisak Hazarak. Say, the, say that again. Um, Kwisak Hazarak. Now you say bless the male benedictor, the man, um, the male okay. Wait, wait, wait! Say that again, and then I'll, I'll, I'll say, give a dog a bone. Okay. Anyway, knickknack, paddywhack. So they're saying that she was do, uh, doing this after power and and wanting to have this power or whatever. And really, what it actually is in the book is that Jessica loved the Duke. And he wanted oh, a real? son. Yeah, for real. Oh. Yeah, she did. And for real. she loved him and he wanted a son. And so she gave him Paul because that's what he wanted. And she loved him and wanted to give him what he wanted. It wasn't about getting somebody, a some, uh, powerful son. It was about her love for um, Duke Leto. So did uh, did Poe Dameron know that she was training the son to be Knickknack Paddywhack? No. Give a dog a bone. <laughs> I, wow. What was the name again? Benny Jesseret. <laughs> Benny Jess. No. Quizak no. Hadrak. What? Well, the Quizak Hadrak, yeah. Oh my, you guys, come on. I have, I have a hard enough time pronouncing human names. <laughs> well, and you know, that's that's one of the things. I, I, I told my wife that I watched that this movie, and she was like, do you think, you know, do you think I would like it? Or do you think? Jack or one of our sons would like it. And I, I, I said, yes, I think, but I think the difficult thing about this is that if you haven't read the book or you're not well versed on, on Dune, you know, there is a learning curve, right? You've got to learn the houses. You got to learn how everything's put together and there's, it's, it's a little bit confusing. So um, it's nothing you can't get past. I, I think the film was a really well done film uh, yeah, and I liked was. it, but, but yeah, there's yeah, it's not easy at first, right? I mean, you you have to. It's not one you can passively watch because you have to pay attention to who's who and and what houses are what and 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 the dynamics between all of that. Yeah. So so yeah, it it, it is a little tough to wrap your head. Around. I I I don't want to say tough, but you 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 have to pay attention. This this was this is a a high fantasy sci-fi equivalent. Yeah, yeah it, this, is, it this is, is Lord of the Rings level. Yeah, it's like sci-fi fantasy mix. And I'll, I'll let you know too, Brady, um, and listeners as well, like if you read the book, that is how the book is. Like when I was reading the book, there were some things I was still confused on that I had to look up just to kind of make connections and understand. Um, and that's just, that's the style of how the book was written is it's very like kind of dealing out like the information isn't explained. It's just like 
there in the storyline and you put the pieces together kind of thing. Yeah. You know, I will share my grandfather hated science fiction and somehow my brother got him uh, to read Dune and he was completely floored with the politics and the religion and how deep it was and how full the story was. Mm -hmm. So he, though he didn't like sci-fi, he did like Dune. Yeah. I, um, I feel like for me, this movie would have been helpful to have kind of like an opening scroll type of thing that says, okay, here's, here's some good things to know as you watch this movie. Um, what you needed was cliff notes sitting with you <laughs> so you could look up things. Well, I don't remember being this confused with the 1984 film. I mean, Brady, what are you going to say? Well, that's because, well, oh, sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say, you know, I, I, I can't speak for anyone else, but I've become lazy with my fantasy, right? You know, I mean, really, yeah. you know, you have Star Wars, you have Marvel, you have these things that are culturally ingrained with us that 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 we know. I mean, mm. you know, we're we know what the force is by the time we can talk, right? You know, and we know about we know about you yeah. know the Galactic Empire and, and the rebels, and, and so it's it's just a new. It's a it's a it's a new universe that we have to wrap our heads around, and because everything else comes so easy, uh, because of our 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 cultural exposure, it, it's just a little bit. It takes a little bit more effort to to get into the story. That being said, it's totally worth it, but but it's it's not as easy as as some of the other things yeah. that um, that we. You know, it's it's to me this seemed a lot more uh, Game of Thronesy than uh, than anything else because you have these different houses and these political dynamics and and these things that come into play. You know, it's not a direct one to one relationship, but if you've watched Game of Thrones and you understand how those relationships are, then it's uh, it's very similar. Those dynamics are very similar, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um... But I don't so, want to turn anyone off to it because it is really good. Well, no, it's it, good. And it's cinematography. Oh. It's gorgeous. What I, yeah. what I loved is how they really start off with having um, Zendaya's character. I can't Who? remember her name. Zendaya? She was the, the, the woman in the desert. Oh, yeah. uh, with the blue eyes. Yes. It's in the dreams. The spice eyes. Yeah, uh, Mary Mary Jane from Spider-Man. So anyway, so what I loved about what they did with her is they shared, they had her introduce Dune and shared her love of Dune. And mm. instead of going to this just plain desert planet then people normally hate deserts, we have this person introducing it who loves it. And I think that sets a tone for the movie. And I mm. really loved that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so the, you were saying, Austin, that you wish like there were kind of like scroll credits. The 1984 had the equivalent of scroll, cre scroll credits, uh, which is why you kind of understood what was going on more. Yeah. But yeah, in this one, your scroll credits was Zendaya's character, Chani, who's a major character. She's talking about Dune. It's from her perspective, whereas the 1984 is from the perspective of like the entire empire of how mm. this desert planet is like central to their success. And yet is the most hostile planet anyone can live on. 
You know, Jackie, you touched on something a moment ago when you were talking about cinematography, and I'm not trying to take us too far off course here, but the uh, it, 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 it's certainly worth mentioning again, the cinematography of this movie. It takes a lot to make a desert look amazing. Ooh, I mean, wow. it's mm-hmm. a desert, right? But I think that the way, yeah. the way they leverage the overhead shots, right? over the dunes and and the desert. And then the way in which they showed the scale of everything, because everything, you know, you look at uh, the harvester, that harvester was enormous, not nearly as enormous of what consumed it, but, (laughs) but it was, it was enormous. And, and, and using the human to the harvester, to the worm, to the desert scale, you really get a sense of of how how big everything is and 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 just you know the the cinematography was great whoever whoever designed all that is yeah. a genius because you're right it, on the money you know it, you can't take you know you take a picture of the desert it's not you know usually i mean i love the desert but you know when you're taking pictures of sand you you've really got to know what you're doing to make it to make someone feel that epic scope of how big everything is. And I think that talking about the harvester and it getting consumed, the worms, Mm, the sandworms, the worms, man, those things are like, for lack of a better word, awesome. And I mean that in its (laughs) literal sense, they are awesome creatures. They were so well done. They were they so were. cool. And they weren't overplayed. And that's what I was worried about. They they were they were not overplayed. It wasn't like they were front and center of everything, but they were omnipresent and they were there and they were a real threat without um you know, without focusing too much on this special effect of a sandworm, right? Mm-hmm. So that's my thought. Yeah, I uh, I have to agree with your earlier comment. Yeah, there was a few times where I'm watching this thing and I'm and I'm thinking, man, what a yeah, this is absolutely beautiful to look at. And I'm wondering how do they did some of this? Are, are some of these like sets that oh. they just kind of CGI'd, or is it real um, deserts? I, I looked up the locations. Um, they use uh, areas in Jordan and the United mm. Arab Emirates. Interesting, to, interesting. For those, for the, um, for Arrakis. Um, so those were in Jordan and the United Arab Emirates, which Jordan has a lot of those um, characteristic desert scenes that are used in a lot of movies. Yeah. Like well, Indiana Jones. The uh, the bad guy from Skyfall, James Bond Skyfall, uh, Bardem or whatever his name is. Oh, Javier Bardem. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not remembering anybody's names. Phenomenal <laughs> actor. He, like, uh, like top 10 actor. Yeah, he, the, the location that they had him in was one of the locations. I'm looking at this thing. And I'm like, man, this is like really pretty location, uh, even though it's just, you know, among the rocks. But some of the, uh, the surrounding desert shots around that area uh, in the movie was like spectacular. One thing I wish I'd seen more of was it was really innovative how the entire city was enclosed. Yeah. Right? I didn't expect that when they came up on the city in the dragonflies, I expected the, um, I expected to see a city, but what yeah. I saw was a roof mm. and 
and it makes total sense. This whole city is going to be enclosed for the safety of the people that live there. Um, I wish I had seen more of the inside of that city. You know, I, I do. It, it wouldn't have fit the storyline, I'm sure, or it's not in the book, or I don't know how much they explore it, it there. It's, at, it's more explored more in the book. Yeah. Like they had it to, be, a lot of the things they had to cut out for the movie, for the sake of a two and a half hour film, right. the book explores more. It would have yeah. been really interesting to see the how they fleshed out the inside of that. Uh, those dragonfly helicopter thingies. Foppers were awesome those things were so cool and and i loved how they would uh pull pull the wings back so that we can kind of go into uh i don't know super like a dive, boost yeah. mode yeah yeah i mean just just fantastic those those things are uh just as cool as as the worms and and the one thing i don't remember from the 84 film is is thinking that like like the ships that are in are just as cool as the worms like the worms kind of if i remember from the 84 film the worms kind of stole the show a little bit Exactly, yeah. Yeah. but uh, the the worms were just as cool as those those dragonfly ships, um, and the worms were cool too. I don't know. Well, uh, the worms are their own character in yeah. Dune. I, I really feel like they they deserve a place as a whole character because they are so important to the story. Yeah, and and that's something you find out in part two, which I will say, like, there's some things in part. For those of you who've read Dune, you probably picked up on this. There are a couple things in part one that you find out in part two that are kind of like plot twists. And one of those is the sandworms, like reading the book, um, like in the first, like if if I would say like kind of the movie, like, you know, they, they showed this, but they didn't go into it as detail as the book does. And it's like how threatening the worms are to like these off worlders harvesting the spice. And in part two, you find out like just how much the Fremen worship them. And sure, like sure. how they co so, how they coexist with the worms, like it's really cool. And they kept they've alluded that a couple times in the movie. Um, and then there's another thing dealing with Paul and the whole Bene Gesserit um, breeding program that they've alluded to a couple times. That you you that come that you find out in the part two. And I'm not going to go there because that's major spoiler territory. So <laughs> well, yeah, speaking we're of that. speaking of the worms as characters, um. What I have my opinions, but what are the opinions? What 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 opinions do you guys have on the casting for these different? I mean, we can kind of go down the list. Like, what did you guys think of Jason Momoa? I, I thought that was so perfect. I really liked him. Like, I it actually took me by surprise when he popped on screen. I was like, wait, is that Jason Momoa? I didn't know he was in this. And I, I like. I was him. surprised. Yeah, I, I, was I, like, I wasn't surprised that he was on there, but I was surprised at his performance because it was phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. it yeah. was like. I've only seen him as Aquaman, and I was like, I like him better as Duncan Idaho. <laughs> he he did he he really did a really good job as Duncan Idaho. Yeah, yeah, he did a fantastic job. I saw him in Frontier. In Frontier, that series that's on Netflix, he was good, but I mean, his acting chops in this one just were stepped up. I, I think I think he was perfectly. Yeah, cast he. Uh, this might. I'm, I'm thinking to all the things I've seen him in. This might actually be some of the best acting work i've seen him do because he kind of has this typecast character a little bit um but he he kind of he seemed to have uh stretched himself a bit and i think it worked yeah there was actual emotion in his character (laughs) well and you know that's not a dig on him you know he's he plays the roles he's given 
but the emotion I think in this at at no point did it not seem genuine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What about uh, what about Stellan Skarsgård as the Baron? He did such a good job of portraying the creepy Baron. Yeah. When he floated, that yes. freaked me out. Well, yeah. I didn't know. I don't know what that's about. So, so the the whole thing about that is the Bar- Baron Harkonnen. He is so fat, just from like gluttony and like eating everything, which they show in the scene when um before the Duke yeah. cracks the tooth and tries to kill kills everyone except the Duke. Um, but he is so fat that in order, like he can't move, like he he's physically cannot support his own weight so he wears what are the the thing he wears that helps him fly are called suspenders like that's what they're referred to as in the book and and so they pretty much like oh like redistribute his weight so he floats and like that's what it is like he floats and that's Ah. how he can get around and move around because he's so heavy he can't move by like under his own power so he it took a minute for me to recognize who it was under all that makeup under that fat suit yeah yeah they're like, and they're like a, they're like the Swedish Baldwins, you know, like it's him, you know, his son is uh, Bill Skarsgård, Pennywise the Clown. Oh. His, uh, his other son is. Really? Yeah. His oh. other son played Floki in Vikings. Hmm. He's got another son named Alex that's been in another series. The dude's like a, he's an actor and a model. I mean, the guy's like, like a Greek God. And then he's got another son that acts. So they're like the Swedish Baldwins. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, but he he did great in that. Of course, we talked about Javier Bardem. You know, what, what about the kid that played uh, the guy that's supposed to be the knickknack paddywhack? Um, Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> yeah, Paul? is that Paul? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Paul. Paul. I I I like y'all can him. go first because I'll I'll share mine in a minute. I liked him better than the dude from 1984. That's that's what I got to say. The dude from 1984 did not seem nearly as I don't know, uh, naive in a good way, a good naive as mm-hmm. the actor that they had playing in this one. Uh, the 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 kid, the guy that they had in 1984, it it, it seemed like, yeah, of course he's going to be able to achieve the knickknack paddywhack power. <laughs> and I don't, but but this 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 kid here, it feels like. Okay, he's gonna have to he's gonna have to really push himself to grow into that, and I think I like that from a uh, you know main character hero point of view. Um, anyways, anyways, what do you guys think of him? I want to hear what you have to say, Brady. I think I've never seen this actor in any other role, so I'm sure he's been in other stuff. I've never seen him in anything else. I think this this guy was handed the role of an extremely complex character because he's, he's young and he's the son of this Duke and he has, he has all these expectations on him. Um, but he also has this power. I think there's a lot of complexity to that character. There's, there's all the training he's had and there's still the naivete of being young. And I think he nailed it perfectly. Mm -hmm. I think that his acting in he I I would go so far as to say he was one of the carriers of the film. And the reason I say that is because he never overplayed any any trait of his character, but he did play them perfectly. You can tell he's had fighting training. 
obviously. I mean, because he's so good at it, but he was never a fighter. You could tell, you know, he has this power, but he's not pushing it too hard and using this power. You know, they didn't overplay that in the role. He has these visions, but I don't think he, I, I just think, I just think he may, he is the brightest spot in this film for me. What I really, really liked is I feel like he really just absolutely nailed Paul. Yes. He, he, he inhabited that character and it really brought him to life. And I loved that. Yeah. He, he portrayed Paul to the T in a way. Like mm. that's how I felt. Um, go back to what you said, Austin, like, yeah, the, the, the reason I didn't care for the 1984 film was because Paul, he's like this adult when in the book, he's a 15 year old and he's mm. just a very observant 15 year old because of his lineage where he's the son yeah. of a Duke and the son of a Bene Gesserit. And so like, yeah. Um, and, and the actor that plays Paul in this Dune movie, I did look him up because I was like, okay, what movies has he been in? The only one I recognized him from was interstellar. He hmm. was, um, was he Matthew the... McConaughey's character's son, at ah. age 15, which I was like, I haven't seen Interstellar yes. in a long time, but that was of all the, like his movie list on IMDb, yes. his filmography. That was the only one I recognized him from. Mm, um, interesting. Um, he became really popular um, from his role in little women. Oh, that was, oh, that's, I didn't, never saw a little woman, but I did see I it. didn't yeah, see I it either, but I remember yeah. a lot of buzz about how well he did in it. Well, yeah, so he did a really good job of playing Paul, of looking like that that boy who's naive, who but he's got, like, confidence, but at the same time, like, he doesn't have that confidence. Very complex. And, like, the fighter part thing, yeah. like, yeah, when, at the very end, which is, like, the cutoff point for the movie, so he's fighting with a Fremen, because the Fremen pretty much challenges their leader, Stilgar, questioning his leadership because a woman bested him in combat. And so Paul steps forward to fight on behalf of his mom, Jessica. And it's clear that he can easily take out this Fremen, but he doesn't. Like he gets his knife to his throat a couple times and shouts yield to his face, only to be told, nope, this is to the death. You have to kill him. And, you know, he's Paul struggles with that because it was his first mm. kill, which is a big turn yeah. in the story. Yeah, that was a pretty cool scene. Pretty much any any time they brought the voice up, it was cool. And I and I, but but I really really liked that scene when they're uh, uh, about ready to I don't know die or whatever. But so I I liked how they mentioned it very casually. But I kind of want to explain something to you and Brady when they mentioned that they were excited to have the water of Paul and his mother. <laughs> oh, yeah. that oh, meant okay. their blood. Yes, no, no, I get it. Everything. Yeah. Yes. No, no, I Their get moisture. It. Yeah, yes. that yeah, that whole scene. Body's water. Yeah, yeah. That, that whole scene of them spitting uh, at the beginning, and they're about ready to kill. Uh, uh, yeah, it was, yeah, it was funny, interesting. And I also want to know: Is Oscar Isaac's beard real? <laughs> hmm. I really want to know. I don't know why I want to know, <laughs> but it's it's sculpted in such a way. I'm like, it's either a really a bad dude. fake beard. Or it's a really awesome real beard. <laughs> oh, I can't figure it out. Yeah, but Oscar Isaac a beard. is a great actor. Yeah. You know, I, you know, as Poe Dameron, he didn't get to show off his acting chops as much. But 
if you've ever seen Ex Machina or Ex Machina or ever how you say it, yeah. you know, his acting in that movie is phenomenal. And, and in this movie, it was just as good. All right. All right. Something I want, something I think we have to talk about before we run out of time. Uh, will we get a Dune 2? Because it, 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 it's not officially greenlight. I think they've been waiting to see what kind of box office results they're going to be getting in this post, you know, COVID world. But but here's the thing. I, I literally, I'm just, I'm just now reading this on Total Films. It came out uh, 17 hours ago. Uh, apparently, uh, for films, for films that have had a simultaneous release on a streaming service, so we're talking One Room in 1984, The Suicide Squad, all that, uh, Dune has had the largest box office uh, uh, amount come in for a simultaneous re- simultaneously released movie. So this made 40 million on opening weekend um, that broke all the other records. And uh, overall it's made uh, about 220 million worldwide so far. So, so I've got, I've got to think that with this being the biggest, you know, box office record for HBO Max and any streaming service. I got to think that we're going to get a, D- a Dune 2. I got to think that we're going to, but but I'm wondering if it's going to be uh, the budget is going to be decreased uh, to try to make it work. Because like nothing is, nothing is making pre-COVID money still um, at the box office. So I, I wonder, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look up Dune's um, budget. Um, they better do a part two or else I will march over there and scream at them because they, they left it. They left the movie at a great hanger. Like yeah, it's this movie didn't have an ending and you can, you can tell like it leaves with that feeling like this story is not Ooh. over. All right, all right. So I think I've got some good news. Ooh. So I'm looking at the dunes budget dunes budget for making it. The first one was $165 million and if you, when you add all the additional, you know, uh, advertising, all the stuff, so it's going to be somewhere around two hundred million. And worldwide, it's already made two hundred and twenty million, so it's already slightly profitable, and I'm, it'll pick up more and more steam, I'm sure. Um, I, I, if I had to lay my money on the table, I would say we're getting a Dune too. It's, we're just, we're just got to wait for it to be officially green light. Um, but I mean, check this out. Got to. I well, mean, it's like how much money. Finish- Dune, like you don't have to go do the other films. Like as much as I would love to see Dune Messiah on the big screen, like just just finish Dune, just finish that first story because that first story alone is standalone. It's really good just by itself. Yeah. Let me just point out that how well it's doing during still a lot of places shut down, a lot of COVID stuff happening. It's doing extremely well. So I think the the um. HBO is looking at that. Warner Brothers is looking at that going, okay, well, if it's making this much, just imagine how much the next one will make. Uh, hopefully. Yeah. So, well, I'll so, say, yeah, go on. Sorry. Oh, no, go, go ahead, Jekka. I was going to say, I, I saw it in the movie theater on Friday and they're like, in, I'm in a small town right now and the last couple movies I've gone to see in the theater, there's only been like, maybe like four or five other people in there. That Friday night, like, there was the most people I'd seen in any theater so far since uh, I've been in my small town. Like there were 20 people in there with me. Yeah. All enjoying cool. like watching Doom. 
Um, and then I watched it again on HBO Max because I was like, hey, I have access to this. Yeah. <laughs> I can watch it. <laughs> yeah, I think if there's even a slight profit margin, they almost have to do it because they didn't end the story. They yeah. took a break. And, wow. and it's evident when you watch it. There's not an ending to the movie. Sure. There's a there's – a, they might as well have just put one of those old 80s to be continued yeah. at the yeah. bottom yeah. You know, because that's yeah. that's essentially what it is. So, so check, will return. So check this out. Check this out. In an, in an interview with Screen Rant, uh, Dennis Villeneuve, who's the director of Dune, was asked if he could reveal one thing to expect from Dune 2 and beyond. And he responded by saying, quote, I will not dare do that. The difference is just that Dune Part 1, of course, is like an introduction to a world where we explain who is who, who is doing what, what the technology is, what the culture is here. The second movie, I think, will be an opportunity to have much more fun in a way. It will be more cinematic. That's that's what I can say. This is why I'm like, they have to do part two because like the second half of the book, but everything that happens after where this movie ended, it's so awesome. And you learn about the spice more and you learn about this world and why it's so iconic. (laughs) I really think they're setting this up to be a long-term IP and the way that they've set it up is amazing. And I think we're going to get it all. Yeah. Wait, 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 when you say all, what do you mean? You mean like I think we're going to at least Messiah. get June Messiah and I would very love potentially Children of Dune. No, no, very potentially. I have absolutely no idea what to expect after this first <laughs> book. I have no idea what Doom Messiah is or Children of Dune or I don't even know how many books there are. So, well, yeah, so. there's so many six. spinoffs. Oh, man. They, they, yeah, there, there's they six really that the author wrote and then a whole bunch of ones that his son wrote after. So my question is... Are these books as good as the first one, or do they go downhill quite a bit? Do you know? I've I've only read Dune Messiah, but I've heard a lot of good things about Children of Dune. Um, and then one of my you know? one of my friends who is a huge Dune fan and has read all of the books. When I was starting to read the first one, he told me he was like, if he was like, if you don't want to commit to the entire series, just read the six one six books that were r- written by Frank okay. Herbert. He said, those ones are by far the best. Hmm. Um, he said, all the other ones, like, they're still good. But he he was kind of like, like you know, it's his son had taken over at that point because Frank Herbert passed away. And he's like, and you can tell the style of writing's different. The storytelling's different. So he was like, the, fir- the six that Frank Herbert wrote are the best by far. But yeah, okay. like, I've only read Dune Messiah. And that, like I said, like, I would say, like, to me, Dune Messiah is, like, slightly better than Dune. Like I really enjoyed Dune Messiah, and I would love to see that as a movie. Like it was so good. All right. Uh, any last thoughts before we wrap up on Dune? One hundred percent worth it. Two and a half hours, well spent. Yes. The good. sandworms made my zoology brain happy. <laughs> Just. I'm, surpri- I'm surprised you waited till the end of the uh, podcast to say that. I, I am sad talk for hours about this. <laughs> they didn't go into the terraforming and how the um, planetologist that had been there, like, oh. they, they didn't really talk about how like her goal in life was to start terraforming. Yeah, yeah, um, Arrakis. Yeah, that's like the dream of the Fremen is for Arrakis to have become a paradise. 
So well, they did hmm. mention that in the movie, though, didn't they? Didn't they, they, they mention mentioned that, that yeah. equipment had been put in and never used? And they stopped because they found the spice, right? Yeah. Yeah. So do they still want to do that? The Fremen do. Why? The Fremen do. They, got- they, they, they want to terraform half the world so that way it's a better place to live. Inhabitable. Yeah. But you still have to keep the worms, which you find out in part two. Why uh, worms are important. Why they're, yeah. Because the worms are important. Oh. They, they are, the worms are a central character uh, the, in the books. Do, do the worms um, uh, excrete the spice? All I'm going to say is I loved how at the end the dude was riding the worm. Yeah, and I know. I can't wait for that. that. That was awesome. I can't wait for that. I can't wait for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited for that. Uh, me too. Well, hey, folks, thanks so much for joining us on another adventure of Super Nerd Podcast. Make sure to hit that podcast subscribe button and leave us a review wherever you're listening to us. Subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Anchor, Pocket Cast, or wherever else you find us. Hey, guess what? Next week, we're going to start getting ready for Spider-Man No Way Home because we're going to be talking all the previous Spider-Man movies. <laughs> That's going to be a Spider-Man extravaganza for sure. So make sure to leave us a voicemail with your thoughts on Spider-Man, on, the, on all the other Spider-Man movies. And you just might be on the upcoming show. You can do so at anchor.fm slash supernerdpodcast. You can also email us your thoughts to supernerdpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Search Super Nerd Podcast. Make sure to give us a like, give us a share, and tell a friend about us. But from all of us at Super Nerd Podcast, stay nerdy, my friends. Have fun. Catch you later. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>